All right, guys, it's time to get started. I like the front row, you guys are paying attention. <laughs> oh, thank you. Where has that been all summer? <laughs> I'm gonna remember that for next year. <laughs> All right, so uh, hopefully you had some good table discussions. Um, I'm going to go ahead and introduce our speakers for you. Um, Larry and Bev Reed have been married for 40 years. They've been here at Faith Church for the past 31 years, where they've been involved in uh, various roles over the years and a lot of things. Um, they have three sons and nine grandchildren. Larry works as a home inspector, and Bev is a diabetes nurse specialist. And before they come up, I'm just going to pray for them before they get started. Um, Heavenly Father, Thank you so much uh, for another day, for another chance to come together and to worship you and to just see how you've been at work um, in, in our church. Father, I, I just thank you for Larry and Bev, for their willingness to share their story. Father, I pray that you would be with them as they come up here and give them um, just the, the right words to say and um, a, a, a peace as they share their story with us. Be with those of us listening, Father. Help us to just... Um, Feel your presence and, and see how you've been at work in our lives, Lord, as we hear how you've been at work in, in theirs. Um, we pray these things in your name. Amen. Our story involves it, is it mirror, is it on? I'm sorry. Our story involves the importance and power of prayer and how God has worked through prayer across generations and continues to do so. We hope to share how we've learned to not only trust God in prayer, but watch with great expectancy as our lives came together and we have such a rich heritage of prayer in our lives. So they wanted us to come up with a title for our uh, talk today. So the title is, What Do You Get When You Cross a Redneck with a Survivor? Can you guys see that? Can you see it all? Okay. 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 I can move. No doubt, my being a redneck is not a big surprise to most of you, <laughs> but I'll give you a bit of background today to validate any concerns you may have had about me. I believe my faith story begins with my great-grandmother uh, on my mother's side, whose name was Grace Roberts. She was half Northern Cherokee Indian. Every year, she would send to her grandchildren and great-grandchildren a birthday card with a ver Bible verse on it, and she would put in there that I'm praying that you would love Jesus. <clears throat> James 5.16 says, The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. The birthday cards always had a dime taped to the, to the top, and if it was a Roosevelt dime, the, the, the head of Roosevelt was taped down because she felt that people should be trusting in Jesus and not in government. She was not a fan of FDR. <laughs> I was born in Hutchinson, Kansas in 1953 and raised on a farm 12 miles west of Hutchinson between Nickerson and Partridge. Uh, I have an older half-sister who still lives in Nickerson and my younger brother resides in Hutchinson. Our farm I grew up on began as part of the Homestead Act of 1862. My great-grandfather on my father's side settled 160 acres in 1863 and built a small house that I eventually would be raised in. 
My father and his five siblings grew up there, and my father stayed to work the farm with my grandfather. This is a picture of my mom, dad, brother, sister, and me. I, I do have fond memories of growing up on the farm. Uh, I raised chickens and sold eggs. I uh, had a pet goat and lots of freedom to, to, uh, you know, to play. Chores were a huge part of life, and like Nick Carter said when he gave his face story, it's indeed a totally different culture. Our farm had a two-hole outhouse we used and a hand pump in the house for our water. When I was in the first grade, my dad and grandfather added on a bathroom complete with a toilet, bathtub, and an electric pump for the well, providing us with running water in the house. We really felt like we were now living in the lap of luxury. We stayed on this farm until 1967. Why am I telling you all of this? Well, you need to know if you hadn't already decided, I am a full-blooded redneck. Three personality tests later in life have confirmed that. <laughs> so my story begins a bit differently. I was the surprise third child um, to my parents. I have a sister seven years older and a brother five years older. And I spent much of my life uh, moving between Wichita, Kansas and Kansas City because of my dad's job. I really never knew a heritage of faith that I recalled. Uh, my father's family provided much of the drama, and that was possibly the backdrop for a lot of what occurred in my life, which I'll share with you later. My dad was the oldest of five kids, and his father abandoned his family during the Depression. So from a very, very young age, my dad was responsible to provide, actually, for his mother and his siblings, um, and included um, bootlegging booze during um, the Depression. Um, his mom was a devout Christian scientist. He cared for his mother and his siblings, not only through the Depression, but long into their adult lives. Mother always made sure we attended church every Sunday. I never really understood until later in life why my father never attended church with us. The church we attended was an evangelical United Brethren Church that became a United Brethren Church. It was at this church that my journey with Jesus Christ began and was nurtured. My mother would read Bible stories to my sister, my brother, and me before going to bed. I remember my grandfather would sit in his chair with his magnifying glass and read his Bible every night. My father worked the night shift at Cessna and Hutchinson and worked the farm during the day. Grandpa usually said the prayer at meals. Many times we kids would say the prayer. As a child growing up, I never understood the pressures of my mother and father dirt in their marriage, and things would happen that were confusing to my siblings and me. I found out from my dad late in life the reason he never attended church with us was that my grandmother, that my mother's mother, never wanted my mother to marry my dad. My grandmother wanted my mother to marry a rich man, and my dad was a poor farmer. My grandmother tormented my mother and father continually. Having my grandfather living in the house, my same house, my father working night and day to provide for us, and my mom also having to work, along with the pressures of my grandmother, placed a heavy toll on my mother. <clears throat> my mother's mental health was failing. And one day she finally broke. Why don't you read? And she ended up in the hospital for a period of time, off and on for many years. She went into counseling sessions and became heavily medicated as they experienced with various medications. Her diagnosis was manic depression, and in Larry's home, they really never discussed what was happening in their home. They just coexisted. So in my home, um, my mom was my rock. She was adored by everybody. 
but my dad was incredibly distant to me, and um, I generally felt out of place in my home. I didn't belong anywhere. This was fueled when I was five, and my mom was diagnosed with uterine cancer, and she was hospitalized off and on for weeks at a time over a few years. So I was passed from neighbor to neighbor to be cared for, and then my big sister, who would step in and be the boss of me, would take care of me quite often. But my best memories of that time were on Sundays. Um, that was before visiting hours in hospitals. Um, you could go on Sundays, and the kids could be in the lobby, and my mom would collect her medicine cups. She would come down to the lobby, and she would have red hots, and she'd put them in the medicine cups, or I would, and I'd go around the lobby, and I would be the nurse for everybody. And um, my mom just beamed, and it just brought me great joy. So um, it was that time that I um, knew that it was, that was the beginning of my journey of becoming a nurse. Okay, somehow my pages got mixed up, so I don't know where I am. Um, right there. Okay. I'll look over your shoulder. Okay. I grew up going to church but never remember hearing the gospel. Um, my sister was home from college at a break, and um, she shared the gospel very clearly. She'd heard it at Campus Crusade for Christ, and she was sharing it with my parents, but she didn't know her baby sister was sitting there listening. And so I went to my room all by myself. I didn't tell a soul what I was doing, and I asked Jesus to be my Savior and be Lord of my life. But I had no clue what I was doing. I didn't know the next step. I didn't tell my sister or my parents. And um, I didn't know what to do next. But our God is amazing. And he, his timing was perfect. So he was very compassionate considering the next step that was coming in my life. I think it's back in order now. Okay. When I was 14, we were forced to sell our farm due to complications in my grandfather's will. He left the farm, we left the farm to the big city of uh, Hutchinson. This was heartbreaking for my father as well as the rest of our family. That farm had been a part of our family for 104 years. I was in the ninth grade uh, the last year of junior high uh, when I started school in Hutchinson. Every afternoon guys would schedule fights behind the gym and I lived in constant fear that I would have to get into a fight. My mother was a patient at the hospital next door from time to time, and I looked forward to seeing her after school. My sophomore year in high school started off much better, and I felt like I was one of the more popular kids in school. I felt I had many, many friends. However, in October of that year, I was diagnosed with Sherman's disease, which is a softening of the spine, and a curvature, my, had a curvature in my growth spurt at the same time. They diagnosed that I wear a Milwaukee walking brace, which sits on your hips and holds your head up high. So a lot of the brace was enclosed with clothing, but the, the brace part was uh, exposed above. I went back to school the next day and was the laughing stock of uh, the school. Kids would uh, shake my um, brace. They'd come up with their um, transistor radios to see if they could get better reception. And they would uh, tell people to stay away from me during lightning storms. Uh, fortunately, uh, that only lasted 18 months instead of the two years I was supposed to uh, have. Uh, this became a turning point for me, and I wanted so badly to die. I turned to reading Psalms in the Bible I received for graduating from third grade at church and talking to my pastor. My pastor helped me to understand what God had done through Jesus Christ and that God has a unique purpose for everyone. I dove into learning more about Jesus and leaned on him all the more. 
So that 12-year-old girl who had just received Christ all alone in her room ended up with another transfer uh, with her family at the end of the summer. So what made it especially challenging was I was entering junior high five, five days late to go to that school. So my locker was um, at the very end of a very secluded hallway um, in that school. I was living downtown in a hotel with my dad and my mom couldn't join us for a few months. So at the end of that very long, dark hallway in a junior high, I was regularly grabbed, touched, fondled by boys. And in the locker room, I was jeered by the girl saying that I was asking for it. I had no friends and I felt more out of place than ever. And I was terrified. I was afraid for my safety and I was afraid who could I tell that I could trust and I did not tell my dad. So after many weeks of this, and it was escalating, and I was more afraid, I ended up carrying all my books all day long to every class and to and from the hotel um, downtown with my dad. But one day, one girl, just listening to the Holy Spirit, asked me to sit and have lunch with her. Her name was Connie, and the lunches became my refuge, and then she invited me to a Bible study in her home. There we began memorize the word, and I was finally experiencing that peace that uh, you know, was the next step from that step in my bedroom. Um, once my mom moved and we were together, we did begin, uh, begin to attend church together as a family. My mom started attending a Bible study, and our church soon called a youth pastor, and I began to experience that fellowship of believers that was just amazing. Um, what was difficult is my dad did not understand, let alone encourage my journey of faith. This was during the Jesus Revolution, and so he expressed cynicism towards this um, decision I'd made and the time I was spending with my friends and fellow believers. So I share this next part of my story with you with incredibly mixed feelings. This has been written and rewritten and prayed about more than you can know. It's really important that I am honoring to my father. So I've carefully chosen my words. Life between the two of us um, was riddled with challenges. I remember being in the car with him when I was younger and he joked with his friends that um, children would be seen and never heard. And I know that's a common saying, but in our home that was an art form. Um, my dad, um, hugs were rare as a young child and totally non-existent as I got older, saying I love you between my dad and, and me and my dad and my sister, it never, never occurred. My sister and I learned to not, uh, to not try and initiate conversation or ask questions other in response to what was being asked of us with our dad, otherwise we would often trigger his irritation or anger. When I was 16, my dad and I had one of those misunderstandings. I was all dressed up in this purple velvet dress with white lace that my mom had just made for me. Um, she was an amazing seamstress. And I was heading out to sing at a church event. My dad was incredibly kind and complimented the dress. He reached out to hug me and I was startled and taken back. And, and I responded very, very poorly. I stepped away and everything was unexpected. It wasn't bad and it wasn't wrong. It just was different. And so my response did hurt him horribly. 
he told me to leave and never come back. So I, I left and I, long story short, I ended up staying and living with our pastor and his wife for several weeks while our pastor simultaneously tried to work through this very difficult time with my parents and me. With my mother's encouragement and I believe some very strong peer pressure from my parents' friends, my dad told my mom to let me know I could come home. My dad announced to me when I came back, I would not be allowed to eat dinner with my parents um, at the same time, I could eat, um, or be in the same room with them at the same time. This house could be a roof over my, uh, roof over my head, but it was not my home. He didn't speak to me for nearly a year. If he called the house, he would call and say, um, instead of, can I speak to your mom or can I speak to mom, he'd say, is Jane available? It was very, very formal. My mother was totally devastated and I felt responsible. I was responsible for her pain as well as my own. She didn't deserve any of this. And my mom was caught in the middle of my dad's anger at me um, and seeing her daughter trying to hold on to life basically. But my Heavenly Father hung on to me and pursued me and never, ever stopped talking to me. I mean, it was silent in our house. But God talked to me over and over. Every morning I was up early. I, I would dive into the Word of God. I'd cling to His voice um, and His love for me. I studied and I really focused on the Gospels because I think I wanted to hear the words of Jesus. Um, I wanted to hear what he was saying. It was like air to me when I was drowning. So um, verses that I really hung on to were uh, Romans 8, 38 through 39, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither present nor the future nor any powers nor any height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And I need to clarify, I'm not saying my dad was a demon. That is not where this is coming from. It was that nothing was going to separate me from the love of God. Um, another verse that I just, um, every morning, I, my Bible almost was torn from how I was circling and highlighting and had my hands on it and probably teardrops on it. In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait expectantly. That means I could have this active dialogue with a living father who loved me. I was renewed. So the terminal illness of a very close, uh, our closest family friend's teenage daughter brought the beginning of some healing in our home. Uh, Barbie was a very strong believer, so we had many conversations between our families and within our family, including with my brother and sister, around assurance of our faith. We spoke again in our home. We had meals again, so we kind of got back to our status quo, whatever that was. And I was finding amazing purpose in going over and helping Barbie with her care and learning about her illness and her treatment. She was incredibly gracious to let me be uh, the nurse of her, taking care of her, colon her colostomy and all that sort of stuff, a teenager letting a teenager do that. It was during this time that I clearly knew God's calling um, for me to be a nurse. And my parents, including my dad, uh, were thrilled when I told them that I wanted to go to nursing school. 
after high school, I went to Hutchinson Community College for two years and then to Kansas State University to study landscape architecture. Uh, it was at Kansas State where I let, met the love of my life, and we were married December 18th, 1976 at Eastminster Presbyterian Church in Wichita, Kansas. Okay, so Larry shares that this was like easy breezy. No, my dad, <laughs> again, well, my mom fell against the piano um, when he came. We did not ask my dad's permission because we knew that would, no, uh, not happen. But um, my dad, the day of the wedding, was not happy at all about this union. And that morning he took um, me downstairs, showed me all the gifts and said, you can keep every one of these. I'll make that arrangement. I will buy you that horse you always wanted. Just call this thing off. Um, as you can see, I defied my father one last time, and, um, but there is a rest of the story that I'll share about that in a bit. Fifteen days short of our first wedding anniversary, my mother was diagnosed with liver cancer. She died, away, died four months later at the age of 48. I was 25. I didn't realize at that time how young 48 was. Um, Bev and I spent a lot of our first 18 months of marriage involved in helping my mother and then my dad after my mom passed away. My parents had moved from Kansas to Texas uh, within the first year of our marriage and it was really hard for me to have my mom go so far away. Within a year of them moving away I received a call from my mom one Friday night and she said I'm tired and I want to go home. And I said you are home. And I had seen her the weekend before, and she was starting to repeat some stories, so I checked her blood pressure. It was fine, but during that call, I asked her if she was taking her blood pre pressure medicine. She said it was fine. Her blood pressure was fine, but she said, I got to tell you two things before we get off this call. First, I never want to be kept alive by artificial means the way my friend is, and she had a friend who was on life support. And second, you need to know I would do anything, include give up my life for your brother to know the love of Jesus. So I knew my mother um, knew, had assurance of her salvation. A few, and then she said, and I love you. My sister was living in Germany and phone calls back then couldn't occur. And, and she assured me of her love for her children. A few hours later, I got a call from my dad that my mom had had a massive stroke. She lived 10 days on life support that my dad had started, but he didn't know of her desires. She passed away at the age of 56, and I was 24. God had been preparing her, and as a gift, he prepared me. She prepared me. So I clung on to, and I still do, and I share this verse um, often, Psalm 116, 15, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. The following year, our son Ben was born on the second anniversary of my mother's death. <clears throat> two years later, our second son, Joe, was born. Then two years later, our third son, Gabe, was born. It wasn't easy to have our babies and no moms in the picture, not only to help us, but to share our joy. Bev struggled significantly with postpartum depression after our first son was born and the other two came home with some health concerns. Um, they weren't major, they were manageable, but we were not baby people. Um, we flourished more from toddlerhood on up until pre-teens. Our, our primary goal as parents was that our children would be saved and have an intimate walk with Jesus Christ. We prayed through each stage of their development while God was forming them in the womb. We began praying for their spouses while Bev was pregnant with each of the kids and continued until they were married. My mother had modeled this and had shared with Bev that she had been praying for my spouse since I was a little boy. 
What an encouragement to Bev to know she had been prayed for all those years. She didn't know if anyone else had been praying for her all those years. We have never tried to steer our sons in any career direction, only to encourage them in their gifting and interests. Specifically, our prayer has been that every person they meet and every circumstance they encounter would draw them into a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. As our sons grew, I was convinced that Ben would be writing and directing movies. He is a talented and creative writer. Little did I know that God would call him into full-time ministry. He is currently pastor of administration at Redeemer Presbyterian Church at 16th and Delaware here in Indianapolis. Joe, I assumed, would be in a profession of sales or in some type of business. Again, God had other designs and he is on the mission field with Christian Resource Ministries developing teams that are teaching and developing disciple making in churches throughout North America. Joe is based in Boston, Massachusetts. And I just knew that Gabe would be an engineer working on medical devices for physically challenged people or even in robotics. God had other designs on Gabe's life. <laughs> Gabe currently serves as pastor of middle school boys in Napanee Missionary Church in Napanee, Indiana. My career can best be described as a Dr. Seuss cat in a hat bicycle adventure of winding curvy hills and valleys that appears to be chaotic and without rhyme or reason. I have worked in various corporate positions with varying degrees of success and failure. I have also been self-employed with varying degrees of success and failure. I have been unemployed for extended periods of time. Most of my working career, I had been trained in various sales and management courses that emphasize self-reliance and how advancement and success can be had by depending on self-reliance. This always seemed in conflict with what I read in the Bible and learned at church. I have thrived on listening to preachers on the radio while driving in the car, reading my Bible, and fellowship with other believers. A major struggle in my life has been to understand how do you live in this world uh, for Jesus and fulfill su supplying or raising a family, so to speak. As I mentioned earlier, I have had three personality profiles professionally done, and the consensus has always been you are weird. <coughs> are quite unusual. Bob, Bob, you don't need to talk. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Is it time for a break? <laughs> Jack Fadley, who's someone here in town that uh, some of you have used, he was laughing when he uh, started my analysis of my personality test. He said, you have a farmer's personality trying to live an urban lifestyle. Then he really started laughing when I explained I grew up on a farm and I live in the city. One evaluator observed that I have my foot on the accelerator and my foot on the brake at the same time. This creates a lot of internal conflict. In 1984, I left the corporate world and started my own landscape architecture firm. After all, that's why I went to college and got my degree in landscape architecture. I discovered quickly that I had no idea what I was doing and the business never really took off. We spent the next three years struggling financially with three boys under the age of four. They were four, two, and newborn. Lots of time on our knees, praying with friends from our church at Eastminster Presbyterian Church and friends from First Evangelical Free Church in Wichita. We, we struggled mightily. We had made a grocery list of what we needed to buy at the grocery store, but we had no money to go to the store. We got so desperate, we sold our high school rings at a gold shop so we could purchase milk for our sons. We were begging God to help us. 
<sighs> a lady from church showed up and proceeded to unload our grocery list in our house. It was our grocery list, complete with the Nestle Quick, which was on our list. God encouraged us in so many ways as we struggled. Bev and I were talking about how we enjoyed the ice cream dates we had in college. I told her I would love to have some chocolate chocolate chip haagen ice cream. We both thought was, that was pretty funny since we couldn't afford milk. We truly didn't share this desire with anyone, but later that evening our doorbell rang. I answered the door and the only thing there was a sack of two pints of chocolate, chocolate chip haagen ice cream. We laughed and cried and thanked God for his incredible provision that was beyond necessary. We easily ate through one of the pints sitting on our front porch that night. Bev had begun working a few evenings and I was, had decided I'd break into that second pint while she was at work the next evening. <laughs> <laughs> to my surprise, buried in the ice cream was a cylinder that had been placed there with $250 on the inside. I was sitting on the porch when Bev came home from work that night, pretty speechless, sharing a story and showing her that incredible gift. God didn't answer our prayers. He creatively used the family of believers who didn't need any recognition. We began learning about receiving. That was hard. In the years since, when we've been able to pay it forward, we've had the opportunity to share these stories to help others understand receiving is giving the opportunity to respond, giving others the, the opportunity to respond to the Holy Spirit. To say, I don't need help, or I'm so embarrassed is our natural response. But God has work to do between his people, and he needs us each to respond. During that time, I was also serving as an elder at Eastminster. The church and denomination were going through some very difficult challenges. It was very contentious and difficult, so the stresses of being broke, raising small children, looking for a real job while trying to keep some semblance of a business running, and contentious church leadership meetings created me in the deepening reliance on the Lord to just help me. In March 1987, three years after I had left the corporate world to start my own business, the Lord brought us to Indianapolis with a good job back in the corporate world. We moved into a house near 96th and Meridian. Our pastor at Eastminster suggested we look at Tabernacle Presbyterian Church, or better yet, just leave the Presbyterian denomination. Due to the connections we had with the Evangelical Free Church uh, in Wichita with very, very close friends, we thought the Evangelical Free Church might be a good option as well. When we arrived in Indianapolis, we had some friends that were living here who told us about a church near where we were living that was growing between pastors. We came between um, John Crocker and George Kenworthy's pastorates. We started attending Faith Church in, in March 1987. <clears throat> In late 1996, I was a rising star in a company that was purchased by a large corporation. The resulting turmoil of that buyout ultimately brought me to a breakdown in May 1997 at the age of 44. My brain was clouded with darkness and my vision was enveloped in darkness. I could, had difficulty seeing as well. I was unable to function for approximately 30 days. Psalm 34:18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit with a, was a source of strength for me. Slowly through counseling, medication, and reading the Bible, the Lord brought me out of that immediate crisis. What I am still learning because of that time is that my self-worth cannot possibly be tied to career advancement or position in life or on other people. Only Jesus Christ can live the life he has for me. Total dependence on him has to become my complete focus. 
Since the crisis in 1997, I have been mostly self-employed in various businesses with major ups and major downs. I have pleaded with God to place me on a straight and narrow path career-wise. And finally, in just the last six to eight years, he has graciously provided some semblance of career stability. I struggle with depression and fear. I am clearly a slow learner, but he keeps teaching me over and over that he alone is the straight and narrow way, not jump some job or business. I am learning that life in Christ is not a day-to-day -day exercise or a simple quiet time, but it's breath by breath. Dependence on him to guide my thoughts and my footsteps. I'm learning to pray for those people he places in my path to not see me, but to have an encounter with Jesus Christ. He has to be what others see because in my strength, my decisions, my words, and my actions, I become an obstacle. He has to be my provider and take care of me. He has to be my life. He has to be what others see. Passages I turn to frequently in Deuteronomy 31.8, it is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Psalm 34, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Hebrews 13:5, keep your love free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. These passages and others remind me of my place in my life and Christ's place in my life. So I was able to work part-time and then full-time in my nursing career after having our boys. Mm -hmm. And I will admit that I resented um, working. It wasn't until God got my attention and reminded me that he had provided that desire and those gifts and those skills and given me opportunities. And I got the focus off myself and onto God's purpose for my roles at work that I think I, I think I became a little more pleasant to live with and maybe more pleasant to work with. My career focus, um, as Ann said, has been on diabetes. And for many years, I had the blessing to be able to pray um, with the team that I was working with. Every morning, we prayed together, not only for our patients specifically, but for one another. Um, that team I started working with 30 years later, I still meet with um, every month and we still pray for one another. In my most current role, it's a bit different, and I'm privileged to work with people from all over the world, and they have different faiths, and some who practice lifestyles that are contrary to the Word of God, but they do all know of my faith in Christ, and they know we are friends, we have very close, deep um, relationships, and they also know that I pray for them. I tell them that regularly, and I really do pray for them. I've been able to love them in an environment that, where that type of caring for coworkers isn't predominant. Without these jobs I have had, I never would have met these incredible, amazing people. So I can tell you that during some of the darkest days of our lives, um, these people that I spend eight to 10 hours a day with have been there for me in incredible ways. An example is Teresa, who volunteered for one of my teams, she shared with me um, as she was retiring and then unexpectedly um, passed away two weeks later. 
She shared with me that she had written the names of our three sons on her placemat. And every morning, she turned that placemat over and she had been praying for our sons for years. She told me that she believed every, every little boy deserved a grandma to pray, to pray for them. And so she had been doing that unbeknownst to me. I share this because working outside the home for me has brought incredible blessings to our family. It hasn't been easy um, being that working mom, but it is what God called me to. And our sons, um, they love this about me. Our sons have been an incredible blessing, but as some of you know, um, having kids and raising kids isn't, doesn't come without challenges. So we told you our faith stories about how God has uplifted us in prayer. Another example I will share is when I was pregnant with our third son, um, from the moment I was told um, I was pregnant, I did not have a piece about that pregnancy at all. And I was in a discipleship relationship with a woman, and I shared this concern with her, so we began praying. We prayed about everything about birth and a baby you could pray about. And when I was in um, labor, the placenta tore abruptly from the uterus. And 30 years plus years ago, it took a while to get from a labor room down to where you could have an emergency C-section. It took many minutes. And as a nurse, I knew we didn't have many minutes. All the way down that long hallway, as I was looking at the ceiling tiles, I, I was thanking God that he'd gone before this. And this is exactly what we had been praying about. When I woke up, and the pediatrician was standing over me, um, an amazing Christian man. He said, we'd know more in the months to come about this baby's cognitive development. But he said I, he didn't see any reason this child wouldn't have a great ministry to proclaim Christ. So what did we plan to name him? We fittingly named him Gabriel. And I can tell you, for years to come, I was getting calls from the neighbors to tell Gabe to quit evangelizing kids in the treehouse. <laughs> And he still does that as a youth pastor today. He's an amazing young man. I will also tell you that depression did not skip any generations. And it manifested itself really differently in our sons. And I spent years beating myself up for not recognizing signs and symptoms. As a nurse, I felt that I should have known what that was. But God honored our prayers for our children and, um, and for us for wisdom as parents. A great example I share with you within our faith family was um, one afternoon I was just at my end and we had prayed and prayed for one of our sons. I literally laid face down, arms outstretched on my living room floor and begged God to restore one of our sons to himself. I told God I couldn't do this anymore. I didn't know how to help our son, and I was at a loss. Now, that Sunday, I was working in the church nursery. Margaret Luther came up to that little window, separated door, said, how are you? And I said, fine, you know, the way we always say, just fine. And she said, oh, well, I was having my quiet time, prayer time on, and it was the same day I was literally on a heap on the floor. She said, God laid your son, she named him by name, on my heart. I don't know what's going on with him, and I do not need to know what's going on with him. You just need to know that I was praying, and I am praying. You rest. So my Aaron, she was holding my arms up. 
when I felt like I was beyond weak, God sent someone to hold my arms and intercede for our son. So Margot was um, beyond moved a few years ago when I was able to share from something from our son's ministry with her and remind her um, of her obedience in prayer. This is the fellowship of believers that were there for one another and listening to the Holy Spirit when he tells us to do things like that. So Warden Judy Hammond and Don and Joanne Fields were prayer warriors for our sons as well, and they lived to see the answers to those prayers. So I'll add that um, after my mom's death, I was in what, much closer contact with my dad. He eventually remarried, but his uh, wife died, and so I was diligent about calling him every single day as my brother and sister did the same. And because I was a nurse and he was very focused on his health, we had a lot to discuss, and I had more credibility um, in his um, eyes. Now, on the other hand, he and my sister remained like oil and water. So often my conversations were his wrath, him expressing this vile stuff about my sister. And I had choices in those calls. I could defend her or I could stay silent and trying to schmooze the conversation to something else, even politics, it didn't work. So um, one conversation was so bad, I told my dad I couldn't do it anymore. I, I said, you didn't raise us this way to turn on family. And uh, he said, if I didn't want to hear what he had to say, we had no more to speak about. And he said, never to call him again. And this was only a few years ago, and he hung up on me. And my brother called and said, don't ever call him again. And I didn't until Father's Day rolled around about a year later. And I just, I couldn't not call him. And I called him and I told him I missed him and I missed our conversations. And we picked up where we left off. So most recently, in the, say in the last year, my dad and I have talked daily about Jesus. We've talked about the promises of heaven and that he could know for sure that he would go to heaven. He said he understood that Jesus died for him, but he had this conflict. Could heaven be a literal place? Because he was raised in this Christian science home and he had a best friend who's a Jehovah's Witness who was witnessing to him every day. On January 3rd this year, my dad didn't answer the phone to me or to my brother or my sister who lived in the same town who helped care for him even though they didn't mix well. So my sister went to check on him and he'd collapsed in one room and crawled to the other. He had had a stroke and was left with left-sided paralysis and this was his left uh, worst fear ever and he was unable to swallow. Once we got him to the hospital, we assured him that he would stay in control because that's who he was. Um, he decided, no feeding tube, but he wanted to try and eat pureed food, which he just choked on incessantly. Think of how when you choke wrong on water, that's what he did with every bite. My sister never left his side for four months and he loved having her there loved it. He adored her and he lived for her being by his side. She protected him and loved him ferociously the way she wanted to love him for years. I went to help him a couple times during this time and FaceTimed him daily. 
Oh. Not a day went by in these four months that our dad didn't hear that each of us loved him, that he was a great father and we appreciated him. My dad made a very clear statement of faith before he died and he shared the gospel with his step-granddaughter. Two weeks before he died, my dad asked my sister to call me so he could get on the phone because he had some things to tell me. With a strong voice as though he was like 40 years old, um, he didn't struggle at all to get these words out. He said, I need you to know, Bev, that I'm very proud of you. I need you to know how grateful I am that you married Larry. <laughs> Believe it or not. Um, <laughs> he is the perfect husband to you. He's the perfect father to your boys and such a godly man. He is exactly who you needed in your life for the boys. And I couldn't be more proud of you both. And then he went on to tell me about each of our sons and their ministries and how grateful he was that God had called them to those ministries and how proud he was of them. I knew this was our goodbye. I told him I loved him so much and that he had been the perfect father that God designed for me. And he said that he, he said, I really do love you, Bev, and I always loved you. And then it happened. It was it was like it never happened. There was no pain. It wasn't like it was gone. It was like it never existed. And this was my new relationship with my father. So to be honest, to do this story was really difficult. I was afraid Satan might use me having to remember the old for harm, but he can't. He can't win. My relationship with my father is new. So, I know this is a weird picture to put up, but it was an, such a precious gift for our sons. Um, they will fully, never fully understand what it, was, what it was for me to not only have that restored relationship with my father, for the three of them to do my father's service, their ministries are incredibly, um, oh, thank you. Their ministries are totally different, as are their personalities. So there's the service to my dad was different, all from their perspectives of their relationship with my dad. And they had a good relationship with my dad. Like a perfect orchestra, our sons wove the message that my dad would have loved and always cherished, and I'll always cherish. It did bring me fi the final healing and even more incredible gratitude for how God called the boys to himself. So our faith stories begin differently, but we're so grateful God brought us together to do it. So what happens when you cross a redneck with th this redneck, with this survivor, the title of our faith story? We had the opportunity to see in hindsight how God has always orchestrating our lives for his glory, even in the most difficult of times. We've learned that when we have been prayed for and when we pray, it isn't the last hope or the last resort. It's all the power and has resulted in increasing our dependence on him because he's in the control. For us, we worked hard to raise our kids to leave our nest. In loving them, we would never hold them back or place expectations on them. When our son Joe left with his family for South Africa for five years and dared to take the first two of our grandkids with him, we rejoiced and didn't share a tear until they left. We 
are learning that we are not our kids' Holy Spirit. Praying for them is all the power because God goes before them just like he did in the prayers of my great-grandmother, my mother's prayers for my future wife, in the delivery room for Gabe, the prayers of Teresa for our boys, Margo's, the Hammonds, the Fields, prayers for our son, our sons, our prayers for our daughters-in-law, and our prayers we've had for our sons to only seek to glorify God. Now we expectantly pray for our nine grandchildren. Our prayer remains for all of them that every person they meet in every circumstance they encounter will draw them closer to a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. Any questions? <laughs> Did you guys ever figure out who sent the groceries and ice cream? The groceries, yes, we knew um, because she brought them. Mm -hmm. The ice cream, we have no idea. And it wasn't something anybody really knew about us. So that was... And we, Larry took out running to see who was out there. <laughs> never, never saw. I'm so glad you shared your story. Um, it's an amazing story. Amazing story. I'm so glad you got to share it. Thanks. Thank you. It's God's story. It's God's story. Is Amen. Well, that's easy. Yeah. Um, I think your story does really bring home the importance of prayer in, in your lives and, and you know and how it all of these events seem to uh, turn on prayer and and uh, it's just a very powerful story so thank you for, so much for sharing that thanks when we're standing up here we feel naked <laughs> yeah literally yeah No, you know, it's funny you ask because I started looking for her on Facebook and I haven't been able to find her. Um, I, since I started writing this faith story, I, I realized that she needs to know that she's, what a pivotal part she played. So. It was in Wichita, yeah. That's good. Um, well, right now I feel kind of stressed out because I got a, I got a class I got to teach in a couple of weeks, and I'm not ready for that. So that, and uh, this is all not personal, but the uh, Ambassadors Project, uh, we're trying to encourage people to be praying, and uh, the, the real prayer request is that people really would be praying for God to be working in their lives to change them in whatever way, regardless of whether they give or not, it's whether they would change. That's probably predominant right now in my thinking. Thanks for asking. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> We're not good at that. I, I'm, a, I'm not a very good leader in that regard. 
Well, I was a very immature um, person when we had our kids. Um, I was under the impression that they were kind of like dogs. You train them, you try to get the first one into a pattern, and then the second one comes along and you do the same thing. And it took me a while to realize that everybody's created differently and are wired differently. Uh, and I'm not, I'm still very immature in that regard. Um, it's hard as a father. I look, look back when I was young, my dad would try to give advice. Um, and I kind of resented that, and not my kind, I resented it. But then later it was, yeah, he was right, and he was trying to help me. But I know better, so I'm trying to help my kids understand, hey, you're making mistakes, and they've let that be known that, you know, it's not your, only if you're invited in. So where I've changed this going from, I'm gonna control to, uh, God, I, I need you to do some work in these people's lives because we have uh, differences of opinion on parenting um, and other things and financial things and they do not want our advice and uh, so we're that's why we're really praying for our grandkids <laughs> right really hard that God would bring them into the kingdom um, but yeah it, I think the big change is going from I'm in control to God's in control I need him to speak that this Holy Spirit would open up their word that, that drive them to reading the Bible and seeking his wisdom and not their own and yeah that the question was God is your father I'm so sorry the other part is that I don't listen very well <laughs> God is my father my dad was a great dad he really was a great dad he's a wonderful and I didn't talk much about him but um, my perspective has gone from him being Santa Claus, God being God being Santa Claus, and he's going to help me get um, riches, uh, going to get great position in life, and all of that kind of stuff. To um, it's a gift, whatever he decides is in his way, and I don't, I don't even got that there. I'm working on that, um, but that's where I'm working on now. I used to work on, okay, hey, going to help me get this new car or this new house or whatever. To um, Help me to be more thankful for what you've given, which is immense. You know, God was, you know, my father for so many years, as far as um, literally that. I felt like I didn't have an earthly father that loved me. And um, it's so hard to explain that when my relationship with my dad was restored and it all changed, it was really an example to me of, um, it reminded me, my kind of, my brain's mushy right now, but um, that God remembers our sins no more. And that that's how that relationship was. Um, with God, that when we come to him, it's, it's, it's new, he forgets our sins, and that just that freshness. I don't think I'm answering your question, but um, the relationship w w that I've had with God has just been so intimate and dependent because I, I needed his love, I needed his words, I needed that communion with him. Um, I lived for it. 
strong relationship with, with God the Father is what heals the relationship with your, your father. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it, it's it's and to me it was just an amazing mirror of of God's love for us. The, that healing he brought and you know he didn't have to bring it my dad could have died from that stroke and that restoration may have never happened and it, it doesn't mean that God didn't answer years of prayers that my sister and I had um, but you know God in his sovereignty chose a different way and um, I'm forever grateful for that and also having the assurance that my dad it, I will see him again and um, the hour before he died, I couldn't get there before he passed away. I was able to whisper in his ear. I said, it will be in a heartbeat. I will be with you in heaven. And um, to him, you know, that's what it will be like. And to be able to say that after all those years, it was just amazing. Thank you guys. So much. Thanks. Thank you.